Diversity is who was invited to the party, but inclusion is who is asked to dance. Welcome to Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World, a podcast focused on reimagining how we define success. Co-hosted by myself, Monty Bernard, and CEO of Expensify, David Barrett. Our guest today is Zanel Mutepfarone, a culture and diversity strategist, speaker, activist, philanthropist, and the founder of Brand Zanel and the Here to Stay Initiative. When it comes to her contributions to corporate inclusion, diversity, and brand marketing, that is only the tip of the iceberg. Zanel, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. We wanted to kick things off today by letting our listeners know and learn just a little bit more about you. Your story from immigrating from Zimbabwe to working with the likes of Anderson Cooper, Sesame Street, Nike, and Expensify as well, just to name a few. Let the people know what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for that. Sometimes I listen to the introduction. I'm like, sheesh, that sounds really busy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, every single piece that you mentioned um, is a part of my life story. And I think for somebody like me, who is a Zimbabwean immigrant, um, who really um, came to the United States with nothing to then look back and think, wow, you know, I have worked really hard on a lot and my community has brought me through so much. Um, it's definitely something to pinch myself on, but also something that I can be proud of. Fantastic. So as I mentioned, you've worked with Expensify in the past, a lot of great work you've done with our company so far. Uh, I'll hand it off to David and we can start off by talking about the work you guys have done, where we started, where we are now, and where we have yet to go. Yeah, so um, I, we've been working together for how long now? Has it been like two years, a year? Yes, we're going into our third year. Third year. Gosh, it's been that long. (laughs) We started majority of 2019 and then all of 2020, and then we're going to 2021 together. So super exciting. Yeah, I think it's it's been a really exciting journey for me personally in that I've learned a tremendous amount from our our conversations and just the engagement that we've had so far. But I'm going to go back to sort of the start. I'd love to hear kind of like your thoughts, like, in general, when a company like Expensify reaches out to you, why are they doing it? And like, what are they looking to get from you? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, David, I think really me coming out of corporate America and choosing to go into consulting, which I usually like being a collaborator or strategist, because I actually think when someone calls themselves a consultant, there's this idea or this historical notion that they come in a company, tell you what to do, and you're just supposed to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas for me, I more so think about myself as a strategist. I love to collaborate with people. Um, I recognize that my journey, my lived experiences, and the expertise that I've learned along the way um, are definitely valuable, but they can only make an impact if the company on the other side side is also willing to put out what they've learned, right, and what they have on the table in order for us to create a really effective diversity strategy. And so, but when I decided to even come into, you know, building my own business, one of the main reasons why I did that was because I knew if a company is coming to me, they're going out of their way to get a consultant or a strategist or outside opinion, there's a piece of them that really wants to make a difference, right? That really wants to get it right. And a lot of times, and you know, I have a lot of girlfriends, a lot of mentors of mine that are chief diversity officers, they're diversity managers. And you know, nine times out of 10, what I hear from them is, so now they only got this job to you know check a box or mm-hmm. they only created headcount for this role to use me as a puppet right or to just allow their employees to not you know complain or to not really give the company a hard time and so majority of the time the clients that do go out of their way to come to me they want to reshape and shift their culture something has either happened or, you know, in society, there's maybe, you know, as we saw this summer, there's social injustices that are in place and they're in a place that they're thinking, how do we react to this? How do we ensure that we allow our company and our teams to know that they belong here, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their gender, where they're from or who they love, but then also, how do they not just talk about it, but then how do they actually embed it in the DNA of their company? And so whether it's companies that have, are starting from scratch, they've never done this before, 
or companies that have teams of probably 15 to 20 to 30 people, but they recognize there's something in the way that I work or that I collaborate with my clients that they're missing in their organization. They're the types of companies that will come to me and ask for help. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that um, uh, I've been incredibly hesitant for contractors of all stripes um, across the board. And I think like uh, our business model is so weird, our company is strange. I found there's very few out of the box solutions that just can, we can drop in effectively to a company like Expensify. And so I'll admit when we started talking initially, like I was, I was pretty hesitant. Um, and <laughs> yeah. because, I mean, I think I've had a, a lot of bad experience with the contractors, exactly as you mentioned, like there's, there's this reputation, like kind of coming in saying like, this is how it is. And, and exactly as you mentioned, um, it feels like there's a tremendous industry for a checkbox contractor to come in and basically do a surface level um, sort of rebranding, um, yeah. like, almost like internal branding, just to kind of like solve the guilt factor of an employee base or whatever that is. And I knew from the start, it's like I didn't want something that was just this um, very simple sort of surface level checkbox uh, approach towards diversity and inclusion. In these words, I don't, I still struggle with them, but I certainly didn't know them then. And, uh, and so I think that I, I, I had a lot of fears about, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew what I didn't want. And, I, and I, that was a, kind of a scary thing for me yeah. going into this. <laughs> and so I'd be curious, like, uh, uh, like when you think back to the, the initial times, like what were your thoughts about like, you know, hey, Expensify is reaching out to me. Uh, you probably had a sense that I was pretty hesitant. And I'd be curious for kind of like your read of the situation. Yes. And I, that the answer to that is actually twofold. And the first one that came to mind is absolutely, I felt your resistance. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, this guy does, it's not that it's not personal. It's not that he doesn't want me here, but I can tell he's skeptical about outside opinions or consultants coming in and trying to tell the company what to do. Um, but again, because of the way that I work, I thought to myself, that's okay. My work will speak for itself. And even more importantly, our work will speak for itself. And so while you were still in that space, I thought, okay, let me work around with these incredible people, by the way, that are part of Expensify, that are self-starters. They're super passionate about the work that they do. Um, you did have a lot of people who were invested in this, right? That wanted to be a part of the change. And so what I committed to was how about I partner with them and we continue to do this work and we just show him that this is possible and show him that, um, and I hate to, to speak of myself this way because I don't want to sound like I'm boasting, but to prove that, you know, I'm not a typical consultant, that I genuinely do care about this organization and I genuinely believe um, immersive collaboration is the only way that we can get anything done. A lot of the companies that bring in outside consultants kind of do an internal cleanup, like what you're talking about. It's temporary. And as you've probably heard me in a lot of our calls, I'm always asking, what is the long game here? How do we create sustainable programming? How do we create, um, you know, make a shift in the DNA of our company and not just a one-time activation? And a lot of times, if you have a consultant that just comes in and tells you what to do, it's just going to be surface leveled. And guess what? You're going to have the same issue the next year and the year after that. And so I, I knew you were resistant, but... I thought it was an incredible opportunity that was filled with so many people who were open to the idea and who just wanted to get shit done. And I saw that in them and just said, okay, let's get this work done. And then hopefully he will come along the way as he sees things starting to progress. So that was my, you know, my take on it. Um, and then what's really unique here is that you all didn't really come to me. I came to you and the, I will never forget this. Um, I had spent, I think maybe eight months in my new business. I had a couple of clients like Snapchat and Nike that were under my belt. And while I had those retainers, I started thinking about the whole reason why I left corporate America to begin with was, well, one, I didn't want to just be under a corporate structure that was telling me what to say and do to sell other people dreams. That was the first thing and let it, that be my job. But the second thing was that I wanted to carve out more time to use my skills and talents to give back to my community, um, to create spaces and rooms and platforms for diverse um, women who have different journeys for me and similar journeys for me to actually 
amplify their voices, for people to know that they exist, to know their work. Um, and so because of that, I was like, okay, I need to focus more on finding partnerships or organizations that believe in this idea that, you know, women, you know, not only deserve to be celebrated, but as we can see in the pay equity and promotions and having the US still have about 89% of CEOs being men, that there's a lot of room for us to create space um, for more women to be acknowledged. And so this idea of here to stay came to life. And Here to Stay is the initiative that Monty talked about that um, I created that celebrates women that built their own seats at the table and are here to stay to build seats for all. And what I wanted to do was create an experiential series that celebrated diverse women, um, exposed their incredible stories and allowed the community to see that the brands, the products and services that we use every day and that are in our homes um, are really created and ran by incredible women, but yet nobody knows their names. Um, and so I wanted to do that in Portland and I found it to be important. And so I will never forget, I would split my day um, between 7 a.m. and one, I would focus on my consulting and between 1 p.m. and four, I would write down all of the different companies that I thought would make incredible partners for here to stay. And I ran into Expensify for San Francisco. Hmm. And I thought, huh, yes, I love this. Like, I want to be able to travel. I traveled quite a bit in my last job. I started learning all of these incredible things about how you all travel a couple times a year as a whole company, um, the flat organization. Like, it was just, there were so many cool things that I loved. And I wrote all of them down. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pitch to them to consult. And then around two o'clock, now I'm working on the Here to Stay partnerships. I thought to myself, I was like, oh, you know, I saw Expensify on that list, but I thought I read there in Portland as well. Let me look up where they are. And I looked you up on Google Maps and my God, that building <laughs> <laughs> in Portland, downtown, I was just flabbergasted. And I remember the vision that I had for Here to Stay, I was ready to do it in my living room. I was happy to just create space in my living room for women to share and to collaborate and to create innovative you know, ideas. But when I saw the bank, I thought, oh my gosh, how cool would it be to have this wonderful space filled with diverse women from all walks of life and create a platform for them to share their stories? How magnificent would that be? And I yelled to my husband and he comes to the room and he says, what? I said, so there's a company on my consulting list. They would be great. I think there's an awesome opportunity for me to come in and consult. But look at their venue. Wouldn't this be so awesome for our community to just have an amazing time there and feel so special? And he said to me, okay, what is your heart telling you? And I said, I want here to stay in this building. And he's like, okay, then do that. And so I just remember going on LinkedIn, doing a bunch of research, writing a lot of the team members that we have at Expensify and Alex and Nikki were the first ones to respond. Um, and Nikki just took it over and said, listen, I believe in this and I believe in you. Um, and I believe in these communities and we're gonna make this happen. And I felt so great after that. And I will never forget after our first meeting, my husband said, now, do you think you just lost out on an opportunity to consult for a dope company? And I said, nope, I think I did the right thing at the right time. And a month later, you all asked me if I would consult. So yeah. that, that's really the story of how we mm. got together. Um, and it just reminds me every day how important it is to put service to others first and think everything else will fall in place. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. Um, so I'm looking forward to when COVID's over and we can uh, resume the seminar. Um, like I think the Here to Stay um, sort of lecture series has been fantastic, or I guess more of a panel series has been incredible. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, definitely looking forward to get that going again. So yeah. maybe um, maybe for the benefit of listeners and for me as well, uh, how would you define like diversity, inclusiveness, equity, and justice, and how are those different, and how do they relate? Yeah, absolutely. This is actually what I, um, it's probably the first thing that I go over when I have new clients, no matter if we're doing a workshop together or actually creating um, a long partnership. 
So diversity for me um, is both visible and invisible. Um, diversity for what we know could be racial diversity, the color of our skin, gender diversity, um, nationality as well, but it also has invisible diversity of socioeconomic backgrounds, right? Where do people go to school? Did you take out loans for school or did your family help you? Um, you know, did you go to an Ivy League school? Did you go to a, you know, a community college? All of those are types of diversity that we bring into the room. Um, one that I have, you know, the two that I have really been working with my clients on right now um, that easily gets, for, you know, forgotten sometimes is parenthood, right? Um, and parenthood will go into a little bit of equity as well. But parenthood is one of those things that people have such a hard time. And I would say companies easily forget. And I'm always like, that is one that we should really be focused on because it impacts the way people work. It impacts whether people want to come work for you or not. Um, and so definitely consider that as well. And then um, people with disabilities, right? Because those are also seen and unseen. So that's diversity is just really having, um, you know, different people with different backgrounds, regardless of the color of their skin or their gender, um, invisible and visible um, differences. And then equity is really important to me because I think a lot of people get it confused with equality, mm -hmm. okay? To say equality is to say we're all starting at an equal baseline. We all have equal access to opportunities. We all have equal access to job postings, et cetera. But equity is to say, okay, we're gonna look beyond that and say for every individual, what are the unique circumstances and experiences that they currently have and have had historically that prohibit them or, or or calls to a barrier to them getting to that equal playing field that we're talking about. And this one is interesting to me because I've noticed, and we've talked about it greatly even in our own um, conversations in our meetings, I'm hearing so many different definitions from companies across the board. And once they actually define what equity is, different people have um, different um, priorities that they have to say, okay, when it comes to equity, we really want to focus on pay. We want to see like what were the disparities historically, whether it's in the last 100 years, the last 200 years, how can we as a company make that right? And then we have other companies, as I mentioned with Parenthood that say, listen, we have got to fix our benefits when it comes to paternity leave. And we have got to really focus on how are we creating an atmosphere that allows openness and flexibility to people who have children? How can we do that? So that's equity. It's really just the fundamental understanding and effort to go out of your way to address people's unique experiences and circumstances um, that they have faced in their life. And then we have um, inclusion, which is the most important one of all. And um, I have this thought leader mentor um, that I look up to. Her name is Verna Meyer. She's the chief diversity officer at Netflix. And she was the one who coined the term, I don't know if you've heard of it, diversity is who was invited to the party but inclusion is who asks, who is asked to dance. And it's just such a simple term. And I always crack up with, with my clients when I do workshops. I'm like, I don't know about y'all, but honey, I remember in junior high, I'll spend all day getting my hair done and getting, getting all these pretty clothes and dresses. And then I'll show up to the dance and nobody wants to dance with me. <laughs> that did not feel good, okay? Well, imagine that feeling. And it could be a dance, could be prom, whether you're asked to prom or not, or you get there, nobody speaks to you. Those that level of anxiety and feeling of isolation and not feeling like you're a part, it follows us all the way through adulthood. It follows us in the boardroom when people are making decisions. It follows follows us in Slack meetings when people are throwing out ideas or speaking about the things that they want to do and nobody responds back to them or no one addresses that their idea was good enough. We should look into it. That feeling that we got in middle school and high school of being left out of the dance is the same feeling we get now when we don't involve all voices that are in the room. Hmm. Um, and I always speak to these three parts because I genuinely believe none of them can live without the other. If you have diversity, you can be a company that goes out there and now you have 50% you know, women, you have nationalities and all racial diversity, you are scoring really high there. But then your turnover rate is really high, why? because there's lack of inclusion. You have women and people of color consistently leaving your company and complaining that their ideas were never implemented. 
that they were passed up to promotions, whether it's pay promotion or level. They feel as if people talk over them or don't even know that they exist. Those are the reasons why people usually leave companies. And that is a lack of inclusion. But then also when I go in this other side, you can have inclusion and have a lack of diversity. I'll never forget one of your teammates and I was super proud of her. And I don't know if she'd want me to blast her, but she sat down with me and she says, Danelle, I love the work that we're doing with you. And I said, yeah, me too. And she goes, I look around and I hear a lot of people say that we do inclusion well, that you know everybody is invited. I love the policy that you all have that you can choose whatever concert you want to go to or social engagement, as long as you invite everyone to come expensive, I will cover it. She goes, we have some of the best programs or perks that allow us to be inclusive. We travel together. She goes, but I know this work that we're doing to increase the diversity in our company is going to shake up the way we define inclusion. And I said, absolutely. Because the more people you bring in from different communities, from different countries that were raised different ways, the more you're going to have to really break down what does inclusion mean to the company by the way of how inclusion means to those diverse individuals. If everyone went to Harvard, you're going to probably define inclusion the same way. If everyone is from Portland, you're probably going to define inclusion the same way. But if you have somebody from the Bronx, honey, and you got somebody from Chicago or from Miami, and they're now joining your company, and culturally they were raised differently, inclusion is going to look way different than it did three years ago when you didn't have the diversity. And so those are the three, like you, you can't have one um, without the other. And then I know you mentioned justice as well, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, justice for it, especially if we're talking on a company level, it's really our ability to look at something that was unfair and say, how do we recommend that? And we've talked about, and especially, you know, in our meetings, David, reparations, right? To say, okay, here is an area where it is so evident that this particular community was treated differently, missed out on opportunities, or, you know, um, we've talked about prison system before, but they were not treated fairly. And so we're going to do what we need to do to ensure we do our part to make that better, to pay that for, to recommend that. So that's what I would say justice is, is to say, these are the areas that were done wrong and particularly for this community. And here's our way of how we pay it forward to say, we're going to try to make it right. Yeah, I think the I think that's that's super helpful to break down those kind of different terms. And that's what I think um, as a CEO, I've been I'm very process oriented, um, and so anything I can basically break down into a process that can be followed, that can be documented, like that's what I, I rally around. And I think that these terms, for me from the start, have always been very hard to grapple with, very hard to like create a process around. And so I'd say I'd be curious. I I think my definition needs to be slightly different. So I'd be curious to hear kind of your reaction to that. Um, okay. Because I would say, in from my perspective, um, diversity is sort of a measure of success. Basically, if you do a bunch of other things right, you end up as a, a diverse place. Uh, but diversity can't be mandated by itself because you can't force people to join. You can only welcome them and include them and so forth. So diversity, in my mind, is the, the desired outcome, but it's not actually a process itself. There's no diversity process because diversity is a decision that other people make before they even join. Yeah, it... I, would, I wouldn't disagree, but I would say yes and, right? <laughs> <Okay>. because, <laughs> yes and, because you have to set forth, and I think we talked about this in the beginning of our partnership, a lot of us that were working on hiring, is to say like, we're not going to put a quota out there to say by 2024, we need to have 66% racial diversity in our company. <clears throat> But rather, we need to diversify the processes of which we go out and get diverse candidates into our company. So for instance, right now, for a company that says, we're just going to post on our own .com, we're going to post on LinkedIn and Glassdoor, and that's it. Majority of the time, because of how the system is structured and created, you're going to get the same results. You're going to get the same people that happen to have the opportunity to hop on LinkedIn or that happen to know very well that Glassdoor or even if dare I say that knows that your company exists. 
So to even assume that like, who are the consumers that you have? How would they know that your company exists? And so therefore these consumers now turn into talent. Like those are just like the basic ways that people usually post jobs. But to diversify your processes is to say, eh, there are gaps in going on LinkedIn. There are gaps in assuming that Expensify, um, we are, we dot our Expensify has diverse people coming to it. Instead, what we're going to do is go out of our way and find organizations, institutions, and platforms that serve diverse communities mm -hmm. who can guarantee diverse communities trust them. And I always say this, that trust is legit one of the single most important thing that you can do to attract diverse talent. And the only way that you can gain, or not the only, but one of many ways that you can gain trust from diverse talent is familiarity. They have to see you and know you within their own community for them to even think, okay, I'm gonna go on Expensify's website and apply for a job. And so I heavily believe that diversity is within the process, is ensuring that you're examining the processes that you have in place and seeing what the gaps are and then figuring out ways to fill them. Okay, so I think we might be saying similar things, but slightly differently. Um, and I would say that I, I absolutely agree there is a process that can achieve diversity. And I would think that that process includes components of uh, inclusiveness as well as equity. And I think that in, in my mind, inclusiveness is, uh, oh gosh, these are such good, hard terms. Like that's why I, th I think this is such a good conversation. Like I still struggle, we've been talking about this for years and I like, struggle to articulate these concepts in a way that can be uh, implemented as like a process. Cause like if I can't like on the spot have a, like a coherent description of it, it's hard to expect an entire team to as well. But in, in my mind, I would say like uh, inclusiveness is, as you say, uh, who you invite to dance. Uh, it's having processes in place that ensure everyone has equal opportunity um, yep. and uh, is uh, provided with um, support and encouragement to actually pursue that opportunity as well. But I think yeah. inclusiveness is different than sort of equity, uh, which is basically saying if inclusiveness is about trying to eliminate all the problems um, and biases inside of our walls. I think equity is about trying to compensate for those biases that exist outside of our walls. Um, and I feel like inclusiveness is the much easier one because it's it's easy to, to rally people behind. It's like, hey, we should be super fair to everyone, transparent and welcoming. Yeah. Equity is the one I think is really hard because it's basically saying, hey, we should take responsibility for problems that we didn't actually create. But yeah. at the same time, by acknowledging the systemic biases that sort of like helped us get where we are. It's like, yeah, we didn't create those problems perhaps, but we certainly benefited from those problems. Um, and so that, that's, that's a hard conversation to have. Yeah, I think equity, it really allows to open the door on really radical opinions and movements to actually create a difference, right? Because what happens is when people are proposing, um, let's say maternity leave and saying, if you become a mother, a father, you get a year off. Germany does this. You get a year off. We got you covered. We'll pay for it, right? What that does is that any of those unique experiences always have somebody on the other side who doesn't have access to them. And so when you put yourself in that position, you're creating this atmosphere where people, if they don't understand and or stand by the values that the company is taking on and choosing to champion, you're going to have people that are constantly challenging whether or not those accommodations, right, or those compensations are fair. And so that's when it gets really complicated for a lot of companies where um, I think we've talked about this together, where I have clients that say, now we've noticed because of redlining, um, Black communities and, and, and families have a really hard time buying homes, right? They get denied loans a lot faster, their rates are a lot higher. And so we want for people to see, like, if they go on our website, they know, like, oh my gosh, I have to move from Chicago to Portland. Not only am I moving from my home, you know, from my home city, but I now have to go into a predominantly white town or Dwight city. And I have to face the entire process again of trying to get a home, right? And when they go on our website now, though, they'll say, okay, I'm gonna move to Portland. And I noticed that our company is gonna help with home um, down payment assistance, or they recognize for you know any black families um, or black employees that come, we're gonna pay you, you know, pay 25% of your of your down payment or pay 25% of your entire house. Those types of things, while it makes sense, while the company's saying that we're going to basically pay for the mistakes we didn't make 
you're putting yourself in a position where any employee can really challenge that if they don't see the vision nor the value that you are trying to uphold. Yeah. And for the benefit of listeners, these are all ideas. We haven't actually done all of these yet. So these are <laughs> after discussions. Oh, yes. <laughs> and this is a client. I have a client who did do this. Oh, cool. Um, okay. But I just shared it with the team. Yeah, it wasn't expensified, but a different client of mine is working on that because that's the area they've chosen. And I had mentioned before, some are focusing on parenthood, some are focusing on, you know, gender, right, and creating more opportunities, especially when it comes to education, right? And so the home, you know, down payment assistance one was the one that I would say is probably having um, the most, I would say, people challenging it at this time, but it, it's still implemented. Well, oh, that's interesting. When you say the most people challenging it, you mean uh, employees of the company or outside or what do you mean by that? Employees in the company. Oh. For the same reason that we discussed to say, well, if they're getting that, what about me? Mm-hmm. And that is a mentality that we're getting a lot, right? And and I don't know about you, but I saw that a lot this summer where, you know, any drive of social change um, and, and or equity um, requires a lot of, I would say, internal work, mm-hmm. understanding and education for people to actually then say, yes, I am an ally to that. Or yes, I'm going to champion that along with you. Because for a lot of people, and specifically white males, right, who have benefited from the privilege um, that they've had historically, the idea of social justice or the idea of equity and inclusion and all of that um, really allows them to think like, oh my gosh, I am now in fear that in order for me to champion this, this, there's a possibility that means that I lose that privilege. Mm -hmm. There's a possibility that I end up not getting the benefits anymore. Um, One of the theories that I have said, and I think I posted this on my Instagram, um, I said, you know, there is a fear that in order for you to invite people to the table, that you have to leave the room. Mm. And that's not the case at all. I just want you to scoot the fuck over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that... uh... If you're accustomed to privilege, like equality can feel like discrimination. Yes, absolutely. It now feels like you're being discriminated against for the privileges that you've had all along when really it just means, nope, just help me make space for me and help me make space for my next generation and the generation after that. And if we are to become accustomed to that practice, we will all still win, you know? And so I... I, I I find that a lot of the times when I face clients that challenge some of these equity approaches, a lot of the times it's because they fear that what about me? What does that mean about people like me or people who look like me? Um, And I try to remind them that, listen, it's just fear. And a lot of the fear is from the unknown. So let's educate each other on exactly what this looks like. And you'll come to learn that you're not going to miss anything at all. In fact, you're going to become better. And you're going to get better business. And you're going to get better teams. And you're going to get more profit. And in fact, you're going to get more talent that's attracted to you as an organization that wants to be a part of your company and will help your company become successful. So you've talked about kind of the pushback um, from those who have experienced privilege, uh, basically resisting equity. But one thing I've seen, and I think the more challenging one I've had to deal with, is like uh, I've talked to a lot of people who, with about policies designed to help them. They're like, no, thank you. I just don't want that. Um, it's like I don't want to be singled out in this way. Um, yeah. And I, I would prefer, I just would prefer not to get the benefit of this program that you're making. I recognize you're trying to do it for me, but I, as the person receiving it, I actually just don't want it. And how, how do you recommend dealing with that? Yeah, um, I've heard this a couple of times too, um, and it's not uncommon because really and truly it's what people experience once those policies are implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what they experience once they become a part of the company and they find out, oh, wait, you know, I'm here because of, of some initiative that was put together. Would you have been, would you have been interested in me if this initiative was not put together? And to be honest with you, David, I feel as if that's always going to be around so long as people say, this is none of my business. And what I mean by that is this, when these policies are implemented, we all have a responsibility to rally around around them and say, how do we make sure these people are welcomed, that this is something that's a benefit to all of us and not single them out on their own. Mm -hmm. People didn't come to these ideas just because they read about it and thought, oh, 
yeah, I'm going to get singled out on that. I don't want to be a part of it. People experience microaggressions, which if for listeners who don't know what microaggressions are, they're everyday slights um, or insults um, that are sometimes covered as jokes. So things like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. I would have thought you graduated from Harvard or Zanel, you speak so well. Um, was English your first language? Or, oh my gosh, your hair is so long. Are those extensions, like they're just insults that allow somebody to, uh, un, you know, uncover the fact that they are other or remind them that they are other. So um, as far as microaggressions go, so when people experience constant microaggressions in their lifetime, whether it's, you know, the young black man who did get into Harvard, he happens to be tall. And so people are asking if he's a part of the team, the basketball team, you know, or if it is an executive that was brought in to take over as the CEO and people wonder, was it out of the executive search that they did because the former CEO said a racial slur, you know, like all of these things that, you know, happen that people then decide to be a part of a company and then how everybody act, reacts around them. Those are the reasons why people are afraid of any of these policies or programs. And so it's our responsibility that if we do um, implement programs, if we do implement new policies, that the people on the inside, and I think I've talked to you about this before, David, that the culture on the inside is welcoming of those new policies and programs, um, that there are protocols put in place for people who would be against them or treat people differently. And so I think that's how people get there, because to be honest with you, if some of these policies were implemented and no one blinked an eye, everybody said, all right, let's get this done. We want a new future. We want to build a better legacy. Let's get to it. I don't think anyone would be as resistant and certainly not people of color and women as well. That's kind of interesting. It combines like the inclusiveness and equity components. It's like if we have, it's like, hey, there's a program that we'd like to put in place uh, to provide equity for people of disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, but before we can do that, we need to create an inclusive environment that's going to make people feel comfortable to take advantage of that benefit as well. Yep, absolutely. Hmm. Um, because it then changes the experience for them, right? And then that's what helps us, you know, lower turnover rates, you know, increase retention rates, make sure people feel as if that they can not only see themselves in the company, but they can see themselves growing in the company because the people around them are, you know, welcoming them um, and they're happy to have them. And they're also pointing out their talents and skills. And I think one thing, David, that I've noticed is that as companies increase the diversity in their company, the people that are then brought in have all the things that make them different pointed out. Right. So you have someone who has an accent. Somehow their accent is always brought up. You know, you have a black woman who changes her hair every week. Someone mentions something about her hair every week, you know, because the culture has normalized all of these differences that are being brought into the company as something that's that's just how the world is. The world is beautiful. It's made up of people that are different from them. And so what happens is that when people are kind of, um, you know, I call it whiplash culture where it's like, oh, whoa, we're changing so quickly and we didn't take the time to really learn and educate ourselves. Um, we have now created a culture where people can come in and not really feel like they're a part of it. That's interesting. While you're saying that, it reminds me of uh, the early days when we first got our, uh, our second office and how <clears throat> we started in San Francisco um, mm -hmm. and everyone in San Francisco. And then we opened up an office in uh, Ironwood, Michigan, and uh, in, in the UP of Michigan. And um, one of the immediate challenges was like there were just three time zones off. Um, and, and so it was just a big challenge actually working with this group just because there was a, a, a time zone gap that just didn't have the same... Uh, like they're remote and uh, this is years ago. And so like the video conferencing, you know, we still struggle with, but it's even worse then. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, we didn't have any habits and so forth. And I think that what you're saying about, um, I mean, there's a huge penalty to be basically in a satellite office because there were so few people in that office and uh, mm -hmm. they had to work so hard to become part of the, the main company because they were on the outside. Um, yeah. Whereas now, yeah. Like everyone works from home. Like I, I have no idea where half my employees even live anymore. They've moved around a whole bunch. Um, and uh, and now we uh, have like basically all of our processes are time zone independent. Uh, it's like basically we don't yeah. do a lot of calls. Instead, you do what we call a Slack meeting where it's basically just a bunch of questions in Slack where you can thread things up, leave the conversation open for 24 hours so everyone can participate. 
And it's taken years to build in kind of those habits uh, for how to be time zone inclusive, which is very different than in, in, it's kind of a simplified series of problems to like, you know, racially inclusive or, you know, uh, right. these in, invisible sort of uh, diversity you're talking about as well. So, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a really great point that a lot of this, uh, a lot of these is just about um, building habits and habits is just repetition. Um, exactly. but, I, but it's always unfortunate because it's those you can't build those habits until there's the first generation of people who exactly. are experienced in the world, you know, that hasn't yet built up those habits. And so like, and it's hard to kind of bridge the gap between those two. Well, you know what? Um, I'm going to touch back on the, the fact that people live everywhere now, which I would say is probably one of the things that I admire the most. And when you all made that decision as you were making it, maybe you did have inclusion in mind or diversity in mind, but um, you know, studies have shown that the more companies that are going remote and allowing people to live and work from wherever they want, the more diversity that they're going mm. to increase as far as talent attraction. Um, because one of the biggest barriers for um, diverse talent to move into and specifically um, in you know, companies and technology is that People, for the most part, if you're coming from Atlanta, you do not want to move to San Francisco. You know, mm -hmm. like you do not want to move to Mountain View. You do not want to move to where people consider Silicon Valley. And so the fact that you all have this remote work, live and work from anywhere, you're legit breaking down barriers of entry into your company because you're allowing people to still work within their communities, stay within, you know, perimeters for their families to take care of their families um, and still earn a living working for a really dope company like Expensify. So that has always been one of my favorite things um, and, you know, favorite perks that you all have. And I'm excited to see in the next two years, as people are now seeing how productive they are, um, you know, working from home or working remote, um, that they would probably challenge themselves to say, okay, I want to do this and I can really work from anywhere. I'm going to go for a company that I might otherwise wouldn't have in the past. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then, you know, I think what's really interesting as well, as far as you're saying, in order for us to actually see a change or you talking about repetition, right? Being exposed to diverse cultures in order for us to get used to diverse cultures. One thing that I think we've done and, you know, the doggone pandemic came in and took us to that. <laughs> but when we have been exploring community outreach mm. possibilities and partnerships, right? So for example, we talked about here, here to stay earlier. Um, I remember that when we first started our partnership, it was clear to me through you, it was clear to me through Nikki, that you really wanted that bank to be a community hub. You wanted that bank to be a place where everyone in the community could feel welcomed, that you would co-host different experiences there, and people would walk in and feel like, oh, I love this place. Like, I could see myself working here, right? Or I could see myself working from here. Um, and so that aspect, you know, or that I would say value that you all have um, and commitment to the community is a way for you to continue familiarizing yourself with diverse cultures, right? Um, and then when we talk about partnerships, um, I know that we've traveled quite a bit and we've gone to historically black colleges and universities. We've gone to women who code conferences and, um, and Afrotech and things like that. Um, Think, I would say partnerships of that nature that are consistently exposing our teams to diverse communities and diverse cultures give us the opportunity to be more familiar with it, right? And then to say like, okay, you know, we might not have the diversity that we're looking for here, but, you know, 50% of our um, employees go out in the community and work within the community. They go to conferences. They don't just sponsor um, conferences by putting a logo in them, but they actually do um, partnerships that matter, right? They immerse themselves into the work that that organization is trying to do. So giving employees the opportunity to be more exposed to different cultures, even through partnerships and even through community outreach and organizations gives us the opportunity to kind of embed that, um, that inclusion and that welcoming of diverse cultures in our company. Yeah, I think that... Um... So inside, internally, we talk, we've got the two rules. It's like rule number one is get shit done. Rule number two is just don't fuck it up for everyone else. And I think that rule number two, the more we've talked about sort of part of our engagement, I think we've one reason why inclusiveness has come very naturally 
uh, to the people of Expensify is because that's, that's, that's really the heart of rule number two, is let's create an environment which is maximally inclusive of the, of the most diverse range of people. And so I think that we feel very good about sort of the inclusiveness once you get into the walls of Expensify. I think the place we need to really work is how do we get more diverse people into those walls? And yeah. additionally, how can we take a, a greater interest in the justice, or rather the injustices that are happening outside those walls and make it our mission uh, to help with those as well? So these are all great topics. I'm sure we're going to be working on this for the next three years as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I am with you. That's one thing I am excited to see is that um, how do we expose ourselves, but also how do we immerse ourselves in diverse communities in a real way? I think that there's a lot of, and you know, I'm not sure if I've talked to you about this before, but you know, no one wants performative allyship. You know, no one wants to um, see a company act like they care, but they don't really care or place themselves in an area that if you look at the values that they have as an organization, don't align, nor do they match up. Um, and so we call that performative allyship, it's just, you know, people's ability to act like they care about something, but everything else we do doesn't match up. And so I think for us, um, what we've done well is by having these real conversations internally to say, where do we folk, where do we align ourselves in? What do we care about? How do we ensure that we're creating sustainable partnerships that matter to us and that we know can actually make a difference in the long run? Um, and that's going to be, I think for us, probably the most important step that we can take. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more there. Uh, and speaking frankly, as an employee of Expensify, seeing over the last few years that I've been with the company, us really putting our money where our mouth is when it comes to a lot of these initiatives and a lot of these action items and, and simply just, you know, taking those steps to move toward that has been really refreshing. I've worked with a lot of tech companies in my time, and I've seen a lot of that performative allyship, as you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's a lot of the, oh, cool, hey, it's, here's a sticker we can put on our desk today, or oh, hey, a fun shirt because it looks cool and it looks good on social media. But what, if anything, is actually being done to affect that, you, you know? And on that note, obviously, we've had some exceptional, very exceptional guests on this podcast, present company very much included. And here at Expensify, we internalize the name of the show. Living rich, having fun, saving the world is kind of like our, our meter, our, our metric for our internal and uh, external success. So asking you, Zanel, what does living rich, having fun, and saving the world mean to you? Oh my gosh, it's such a good question. Um, you know what? When I always think about live rich, I think about to live a limit, limitless life without bounds. And for me, living rich is having the ability to not only serve, but to give. And, you know, for a woman like me that immigrated to the United States with my eyes wide open and really wanting to live the American dream. And for our listeners, I'm putting air quotes out there. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that definition is subjective, right? And um, so for me to live rich is being able to wake up and know that there is, there are no barriers or bounds in place for me to do the things that I care most about. And for me, it's giving back to my community, um, is using every talent, every skill that I have to focus on that and not worry about putting food on my table. And I think what sometimes, you know, people might think live rich is like traveling the world, which by the way, I love very much, um, but traveling the world, fancy clothes and fancy cars and living in a mansion. It's like, hey, if that's what you want, that's what you want. But um, where I'm from, there's a difference between working to live and living to work. Mm. And I came from Zimbabwe, living in a beautiful estate with incredible grounds, banana trees, chicken coo, honey, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, people just like all around us. Like it was an incredible life to moving to New Hampshire and living in the projects in a two bedroom apartment with eight people in it. Wow. And wow. watching my mom with a master's in business administration, a master's in education, consult for companies under the table because they wouldn't, they couldn't afford to give her a sponsorship or visa, or they wouldn't. And then working, you know, for twelve dollars an hour as a nurse assistant in an assisted living home, right? And we ate the same things over and over again. We would line up on Saturdays um, and go to the food bank, and really back then was like a food truck so to speak. And, you know, all of these different organizations are giving food from grocery, um, from grocery stores 
that are about to expire in two days. So we got to eat up. And I used to call those the wealthy days because mama would be like, okay, two, two cups of yogurt, you know, croissants, eat everything, go, eat it go, all today, go, go, go. you know? <laughs> and as a kid, you don't think like, oh, we're poor. That's why she's asking us to eat this because it's about to expire. You think, oh my gosh, I'm rich. We're eating croissants, <laughs> you know? Like I really thought that like we were well off and on Saturdays we get to watch Recess and all these, you know, ABC shows, which really it's because they had bought out, um, Disney had bought out ABC. So all the channel two shows or Disney shows are coming on channel two. So I grew up really in this space of like knowing what living rich looks like but understanding what it can be when it's taken away from you. Um, and waking up every day now, I ask myself, how are you breaking down barriers to allow yourself to be in a position that you can give back with no regrets, without checking my bank account to see if I have enough money to help this person pay rent, or do I have enough money to pay my mentees? Um, education, right? To pay her tuition for this quarter. Um, so that's what it means to me, living without bounds and giving me the ability to not only serve, but give back. Um, and then um, save the world. <laughs> I have so many ideas for save the world. Uh, but I think, you know, you all have seen parts of that. I, I really do believe in creating platforms that amplify voices and amplify other people's stories. Um, I think of my mom, you know, who had gone through everything she'd gone through and then she um, passed away from heart failure. Um, and it was because she didn't have health insurance and she didn't have access to medication for six months, you know, um, and her heart gave out. And I remember the first time I heard about this, I was working at Sesame Street and I was just getting on the subway. And it was about, I think 10 years after my mom died, my family felt like I was an adult. I could handle that, like I could process that. And I remember thinking, what if people knew my mom's story when she was suffering? that she was this incredible savvy businesswoman who was just looking for citizenship, you know, but would work countless hours to put food on her kids' tables. What if everyone knew how fearless she was, how strong she was, but had a weak heart since she was born? If people knew that, would it have been hard for us to rally around her and get her the help that she needs? Would have been hard for a company that found the brilliance in her and the excellence in her to ask her to say, hey, you can continue to consult, but we'll give you, we'll provide your visa. You know, we'll help your, your, um, your family with the down payment on a home. You know, like all of these things, I've always thought if her story was amplified, would it have saved her life? And, and so for me, that's what saving the world personally means is going out there every day and finding ways to build platforms that can amplify diverse voices so we can find a way to all save each other. Beautifully stated, inspirational, eye-opening. Zanel, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'd love to do a part two. We can talk about that blueprint of saving the world. Uh, <laughs> we can really get some action items going because I know you have some, I know you do. Uh, we just laid it all out. So thanks so much. We really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you, David. Thank you, Monty. Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World is brought to you by Expensify. Hosted by David Barrett and Monty Bernard. Engineered and produced by Monty Bernard. Theme song by DJ Mick. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you happen to be listening. Head to Expensify.com to sign up for a free trial and see just how easy it is to automate your entire pre-accounting process. Expensify. Easy money.